Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of MetaStrategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest today is Satish Muthukrishnan. Satish is the Chief Information, Data, and Digital Officer of Ally Financial, a leading digital financial services company with revenues exceeding $6 billion annually. On the information side of his role, Satish oversees all aspects of technology, including application development, infrastructure, and operations. On the data side, he has responsibility for all data engineering and data governance. Finally, on the digital side, he oversees the company's digital transformation. Prior to joining Ally, Satish was the Chief Digital and Information Officer of Honeywell Aerospace. In this interview, we discuss Satish's three-pillared IT strategy, which is focused on driving customer value, creating a compelling financial trajectory for all its shareholders and investors, and executing all of that through a great culture. We also discuss the company's transition to a mobile workforce due to the pandemic, and Satish's experience being onboarded largely in quarantine. Finally, we discuss the approach he's used to create his data strategy, what he's learned from his prior experiences as a chief information officer, and a variety of other topics. Before we get to our interview, I wanted to introduce you to our sponsor, Zoho, and the company's president, Timothy Casby. Prior to taking on his current role, he was the chief information officer of a number of companies, including Reliance Industries, Sears, Intrexon, and the Warehouse Group. He's now at Zoho, a most unusual enterprise software company, and wanted to share some perspectives from it. Timothy, take it away. Exceptional is an Australian recruitment agency that is focused on placing candidates with autism in tech jobs. They tried Salesforce and Workday and other tools. Here is the feedback from Exceptional.io after they moved to Zoho Recruit. I want to share that since Exceptional moved from Salesforce to Zoho, our process for profiling shortlisting autistic candidates has gone from days to hours. Our recruitment team is raving about Zoho Recruit. The system will allow us to find more autistic people tech jobs. Thought you would like to know. The Zoho Recruit transition came at a time of 10x growth in candidate inquiry as employees in Australia are starting to hire again. The way Zoho Recruit ranks and rates candidates have helped employers see beyond the challenges autistic candidates face to actually seeing their skills and talents. Try Zoho Recruit to build an inclusive, diverse, and dynamic organization at zoho.com slash recruit. Thanks, Timothy. And now on to the interview. Well, Satish Muthukrishnan, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Good morning, Peter. My pleasure. Excellent. Well, uh, Satish, I thought we would begin with your role. You are the Chief Information, Data, and Digital Officer at Ally. And uh, th- these are three roles that in some organizations are uh, the, the purviews of three different people. Uh, in your case, of course, consolidated into the responsibilities of one. I wonder if you could take a quick moment and talk a bit about uh, your set of responsibilities and, and the three different lenses that your title suggests. I, I'd love to. I definitely view this as uh, somewhat of a unique role within the industry. As you said, I have three di- distinct responsibilities. What start? Let me start with data. Um, I have the responsibility for all of data engineering plus data governance. On the technology side, I oversee all aspects of technology, including application development, infrastructure, and operations. 
Then I have the digital side, which starts with obviously the UI, UX, and human factors, and also includes the digital transformation of our company. What, what is not explicitly mentioned, but I also have the responsibility for is the uh, CISO organization, the CISO reports into me as well. So the way I see it is we have end-to-end -end ownership and responsibility. You start off with designing a user experience, and then you hand it over to the technology team to develop it, while our security organization secures the experience. And we have data that helps us understand if the experience is working well, how it's being adopted, and if we need to change it. So it's a good end-to-end -end life cycle. The end-to-end -end ownership um, has given us the ability to take what I call a higher execution risk because all of these teams are reporting into us. The obvious answer would be if we can drive efficiencies. Yes, that's true, but it has given us the freedom to take higher execution risk as we think about building capabilities for our internal and external customers. And this is where this opportunity has become a huge responsibility for me and frankly, one that attracted me to Ally. We'll talk a bit about that. Uh, you began your role in January of this year, January of 2020. So you've been in the role for nearly six months. Uh, talk a bit about, and obviously I've, I've hastened to add, uh, it'll be obvious to, to, to those listening to this, uh, that you joined before the COVID-19 pandemic uh, reared its ugly head, at least in sort of uh, in its fullest form. Uh, talk a bit about the company that you found and the sorts of things that you uh you did to set your first strategy with the organization? Yeah, absolutely. The company I found had three simple strategies, uh, three pillars to the strategy that everybody can understand. The first one is relentlessly focus on driving customer value and continue to go the customer base. The second one is create a compelling financial trajectory for all our shareholders and investors. And the third is execute that through a great culture. Um, and frankly, one of the things, one of the other things that attracted me to Ally going through the interview process was the exposure to the leadership team, the clarity in thinking and the culture they exhibited. And to my pleasant surprise, everything was true once I started the role as well. So I'm very happy about that. The other thing that I found about the company is uh, how Ally had reinvented itself over a hundred year period. You know, we all know it started off as GMAC, then it became um, a concentrated dealer financing organization. Then at the, at the peak of financial recession, since the Great Depression, we started a bank. And we started a bank to be everything that a traditional bank is not. So that is the company I found myself in. Um, I also found out that the employee engagement was uh, at, at the top 20% of the companies that we benchmark against across industries. That was awesome to see. And the customer retention um, for those who came into us to do business with us were at a high 90%, which was uh, unheard of, frankly, for me. And the last thing that I would say that tied the bow to the company was it's a 100% digital organization. So it was a phenomenal playground for me coming in. Um, and what I did was, starting in January, gave me the opportunity to study a lot about the company over the holidays, you know, listening to investor presentations, looking at strategy de uh, decks, and talking to some of the business leaders. 
And, and one thing I was intentional about was I wanted to create a, a blue sky strategy, if you will. Uh, I didn't want my strategy to be influenced by what I might discover, whether positive or negative opportunities or, um, or growth areas. Um, I created a blue sky strategy. And, and walking into my uh, first week, the, at the end of the uh, first week, I walked through my strategy with my boss, who's the CEO of the company. I give him a lot of credit for creating the clarity and strategy as well as creating the culture. So he, he appreciated my strategy when I said that this is draft one, and it's my point of view based on the, the learning that I've had. And we will continue to evolve this as I talk to my team members and the business leaders and the presidents which is exactly what I started to do over the next um, month, month and a half, which led me to first week in March when I presented the strategy to the board of directors. And here I was all excited to go execute it when, and then um, COVID had different plans. Um, so I had to pause my strategy and quickly get into COVID. I mean, we, we can talk about more, we can talk more about what we did there. Um, it became apparent that COVID was not going to go away. Um, so what I did was um, socialized the strategy with my second set, second level leaders and to the entire organization. And it was a unique experience presenting a technology strategy to a screen, just like how I'm talking to you now, where there were 1,600 people behind the screen, um, not knowing what the reactions would be. Uh, but I, I, I received positive comments. And, and one positive of us, being um, behind the screen is it gives opportunities both for introverts and extroverts to ask questions. So I got a lot of comments and questions via email and through chat. And with, then I understood that the strategy was well received. And then over the next two, two and a half months, I set, to my, uh, set towards my second step, which is creating a structure that will help bring the strategy to life. And two weeks ago, we, we created a, a structure that was completely different from uh, what existed when I joined the company. And, and the primary focus was how can we have everybody thinking horizontally as opposed to thinking vertically and, and nothing wrong with that. They were delivering and excelling while doing that for a specific line of business or for a function. Now we've created horizontal pillars across the company so we can take advantage of capabilities being launched for one business within other businesses as well as take advantage of relearning across the organization. So uh, we launched the strategy and now my third step is ensuring that people that are within that structure are set up for success. So that in a nutshell has been my last six month journey with Ella. Fascinating, as you, as you point out, uh, not that you could have anticipated this in the early stages of this, you were certainly uh, tremendously advantaged in having put so much thought early on into the strategy and uh, you know i know there as you mentioned some course correction but generally speaking you had a had a solid true north it sounded like uh and then the pandemic and the associated economic crisis hit i'm curious uh, you know how has that influenced uh or changed things from your perspective naturally you can't go spend time with customers you can't spend time in physically with your 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 teams uh your peers your your, your leadership and so on but I'm curious what you've learned through this period, um, given some of the, the differences we've all been forced to adopt our, our lives and our business lives. I would love to walk through some of the stuff that we did um, that led to our learnings. Um, 
what I would say is the, let me give you the punchline. The punchline is we have to be completely buttoned up for anything, but we also have to have the ability to be scrappy. So you have to be uber prepared, but depending on the situation, whether it is internal customer or external customer or changing market conditions, we have to be scrappy to adapt it. Um, some of the things that we did uh, was being very decisive about when we bring all our entire workforce uh, to be working from home. Um, we did that in early March. It took us um, less than four to five days um, to, to be able to move that, considering that 25% of the employees have never worked from home and another 25% barely ever worked from home. It was a big challenge for all of us. I was learning my technology organization, but I'm thankful for my leaders to have come together to be able to execute that. And, and some of the things that we did was um, the, I, I would call it just-in-case thinking. Instead of, you know, in supply chain terms, you, you, you would talk about just-in-time uh, material uh, arrival. Here we, we, we thought about just-in-case thinking. So we said we are bringing a large 100% of our population home, which means our VPN infrastructure would be taxed. So we quadrupled it. And when we quadrupled it, um, within two days, that was a first um, for us. I mean, doing an infrastructure upgrade of that magnitude within two days. And how would you test it? Um, we had an all employees uh, call and said, we are doing this infrastructure upgrade. Would you be willing to come and test it after midnight? And to my surprise, over 800 people logged in voluntarily to help us test the VPN infrastructure. So the learning that I got was, you have a massive population of customers that are passionate about Ally, and we need to start leveraging them. So that was a big learning. Um, the second thing that we did was we created triple redundancy for our network, given that all our calls were happening um, uh, remotely, as, as you might imagine. And like every other company, we accelerated the implementation of Zoom. We did it within two days, and everybody started uh, appreciating us um, for being able to see each other through video. And soon enough, we hit a million minutes a day in meetings through Zoom. So to, to handle all of that, we had to uh, triple our redundancy. Um, but what was clever that my team did was to split the video and audio traffic. So the video traffic never came into our VPN. It directly went to the cloud. So there was, uh, there was this uninterrupted video feed that was happening regardless of the, ta the taxing of network. So that, that was another learning to do just in case thinking. Um, that, was, that was some of the stuff that we did internally. Externally, what we did for customers was to, um, and, and I'm proud to say this, we were one of the first institutions to go out there and offer the deferment in a forbearance in, in loans, auto loans, in mortgages, and as well as in lending for our customers. And everything happened digitally. And I should be thankful for sustained technology investment by Ally over a period of year, number of years that led to us modernizing some of our mainframe platforms to, uh, to a modern architecture that allowed us to launch this customer-facing capabilities within two days. And the customers were able to rewrite their loan entirely online. So we were not asking them to call into our contact centers, and then our contact centers were busy not being able to answer. So it was a huge win for us. 
um, that was our, uh, our, uh, our B2C uh, advancements. With our dealer network, we gave them the ability to increase their advances or defer their payments and interests. And also, we started the SBA Paycheck Protection Program. All of this was happening rapidly. And what we did was um, we took a step back and said, we are launching all of this. How can we become more revolutionary versus being evolutionary in our launch of capabilities? So we advanced our entire AI journey and bots deployment. And once again, we went to our internal customers of 5,000 people and said, can you test this for us and let us know what is missing? So we, we are quickly launching eight different bots um, and that is taking care of a variety of stuff for our customers, all the way from simple FAQs to, to being able to understand how to do money movement, um, easing the workload on all our customer, uh, customer care representatives. Um, so all of this work recently, in fact, yesterday, um, has led us to being one of the leading banks in a market research study that happened that showed that um, Ally was the most effective company in terms of communicating with our customers. And not just communication, but the tone, the clarity and timelines, we were number one. Um, and when they um, hold customers around the loyalty to their bank, um, Ally ranked number one. And if we start over banking all over again and asked all customers to sign up with a new bank, Ally gained the biggest share across all of the banks, including the major banks. So um, it gives me a lot of satisfaction in terms of understanding that the work and the hard work that we did and, and what the teams did over that period of time has come back to service well. Great examples. I really appreciate you sharing those, Satish. I wonder if you've also had a chance uh, to reflect upon what changes are indelible. Uh, you know, we've changed dramatically the way we work. We've been forced to do so, this grand experiment that no one could have anticipated even just a few months ago. And, you know, there certainly have been some, uh, you know, some, some negative consequences of it, but there have also been some silver linings uh, of this experience as well. And, and I'm curious if you've, uh, what thought you put into the, the, the aspects of what we are doing, the changes that have been made that actually may be either permanent or at least bleed, their, bleed into the way in which we do business even once we return to some sort of new normal sorts. I love how you call it the grand experiment. Um, you know, it, it, the grand experiment is actually defining the future of work. And my, my boss, our CEO, said it really well. You know, we may be going through this pandemic but don't forget that we are writing history. Um, and, and I take that responsibility very seriously. We need to be able to take care of our internal customers as well as or even better than how we take care of our external customers. If I can take care of my team, then the output and the productivity is going to be unmatched and it's going to result in a positive response or positive outcome for our external customers. Um, I have a number of things that I think about when I think about future of work. The first thing is um, the business clock speed has changed. Um, there is no longer this um, luxury of saying, let me figure out what the requirements are, let's go build it, and we'll test to a small population and then we roll it out. No, um, uh, to my earlier point, we have to become revolutionary than evolution. evolutionary. And a good example I can give you is, when 2008, 2009 happened, 
um, Tesla was announced. And Tesla announced this fully autonomous car and self-driving car. And they started investing during a downtime in the economy. The reaction from major car dealers were, yeah, we see that, but perhaps it, it cannot be realized soon. So they were working on evolutionary stuff such as driver assist or lane assist, so on and so forth. We all now know with the market cap over the last 10 years, what has happened in that industry. So that's a good example for us to adapt and a good thinking to have so we can think um, revolutionary. The other thing is that tech has become the center of action. Um, and especially for a 100% digital organization like us, I am often reminded that you guys are the backbone. So you have a larger responsibility in terms of creating operating leverage. And what I mean by that is, how can I deliver to my customers the fastest way possible um, and the most efficient way possible? And the goal is, when you deliver in small chunks and you create operating leverage, meaning I am going far with the investment that I have, so I can take the rest of the money and invest in more growth and more capabilities for my customers. And it also has to give me quick, rapid cycle learning in terms of adjusting to what my customers are seeing and what we have launched. So the tech being center of action, um, and, and, and this is the answer to all the folks that said, you know, we are delivering from the uh, background, we never get the spotlight, here you go, right? You, you've got to deliver and you've got to deliver well. Um, and then, then what I've found is our productivity actually has increased. I'm sure you've heard it from multiple people. And it could be crisis bringing us all together. It could be um, people working from familiar environments at work. It could be that um, you know, there is a, there's a thin line between work-life balance right now. And they're working in short bursts of productivity. And it's being intense. So the productivity has increased. Um, all of that are positives. And these positives will change the following. One is obviously workforce. Uh, are we going to have 100% workforce uh, in our buildings? Probably not. So we have to adapt to a distributed, agile, and hybrid environment. And, and the key is, how do, you, how do you select teams that are going to be distributed? If you want to be agile, you probably want to be in the same time zone or maximum two time zones. Does that still work? Those are questions that have to be answered. Um, even though productivity has increased, I am watching uh, you know, Zoom fatigue, I'm watching the tiredness that is creeping in and constantly reminding people to take care of their intellectual um, wellness, physical wellness, as well as mental wellness. Um, so, uh, and an and ally culture actually fosters it. Recently, we, we announced a company-wide holiday so people can just completely um, uh, take the time off and, and, um, and re-energize. The, the other thing that we have to think about is talent upskilling. Given the remote nature of work, given the remote nature of um, interacting with business partners and understanding it, how do you upskill the talent? As you upskill the talent and you deliver capabilities, you have to think about how would you balance security with user experience? So that's a conflict that has to be addressed. Um, and, 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 and another watch area for me is how do you feed people who want to be constantly challenged and are aggressive about maintaining their career path? And how do you uh, 
observe that and give them the right level of opportunity so they can get promoted and continue their career path. The second is making sure that the culture does not get diluted. And a large portion of my organization are individual contributors. Um, when they come in, they probably don't have the context that everybody else has, and they may not know who to go to. Um, so we need to create these virtual teams and, and probably make sure that there is pair programming or, uh, or peer tutoring and peer mentoring that is happening so we can continue to uh, foster the culture. Obviously, learning um, uh, becomes important, and then you have to figure out a way to uh, foster the content-heavy brainstorming and problem-solving, which happens a lot these days. Uh, how do you foster that through, uh, through video? So all of that I'm thinking about, and, 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 and if I have to um, filter it down to a couple of things is um, automation of everything is going to help me um, foster that environment, and thinking about anything as a service. So it becomes easy for anybody that is touching ally from any channel to, to help develop capabilities or help consume capabilities um, would be how we are thinking, uh, thinking about the future. Excellent. Uh, Satish, it's a bit much to say that you uh, onboarded during the crisis. You did have some weeks before it happened. But I'm wondering, uh, you know, certainly there were probably operations you didn't have a chance to visit or colleagues of yours you didn't have to have a chance to go see and shake their hands and so on. You've just made the really important points of weighing how to represent the very special aspects of the culture for a team that may not be together as much, certainly in the near term won't be together, you know, much at all. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, are there aspects of your own experience that you're reflecting on as to what has taken the place of a traditional kind of onboarding process that you would take to those people who join from this point forward? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, such a great question and one that has given me tremendous amount of learning and pushed me outside my comfort zone a lot. Um, you know, think about, I'll give you a few examples. Think about the strategy that I executed. Um, a, a, traditional, a traditional method would be present that in our executive council, so my CEO and all my, my colleagues get to understand the strategy before we roll it out. In this um, environment, I set up one-on-one -on -one time with each and every one of them, walking them through what the strategy was, understanding their concerns, and incorporating that before I went and presented it to the masses. You know, traditionally you might do that, but now it becomes all the more important to, to, to have a personalized content delivery depending on, depending on your audience. Just with my own team, um, I, I have made it a point to have at least one interaction with every one of my employees, 1,600 employees. And I have to figure out a way to do that. And one of the methods that I've adopted is I, I now have my office um, include the anniversary dates in my calendar. And my day starts off by thanking them for their years of service with the company. What it has done is it's created this one-on-one -on -one interaction with them. They reply back to my email. They talk about what they do. They thank me for sending that email. In fact, I am the, the, the most thankful one for them taking the time and explaining to them what they do. So it starts to create context in my mind. And one of the uncomfortable things that I've done is I've created what, um, a, a, a selfie video that I send every week, week and a half. And it's a very personal Sunday night video that I do for a minute and a half, talking about what is top of mind um, or the things that I've seen that week. 
um, I, I've, I've noticed that the open rate for the video is 83%, even with, with a large population. So people are longing for this type of communication. So I have had to adopt my communication based on what the environment is, uh, is happening. Those are great insights. I really appreciate your, your willingness to, to share a bit more about that. I wanted to take a little bit more time with the, where we began, which is your set of responsibilities. You know, the tradition, some traditional aspects of a CIO role, but the having within your purview this, you know, gold mine of data uh, and finding ways to, to, to assess it, process it, assess it, and develop better, you know, decisions, aid better decision-making as a result of that. Can you talk a little bit about um, that data component and the ways in which you and your team, um, you know, accumulate the data, refine the data, uh, uh, help your colleagues make better decisions as a result of what the data is telling them? T talk a bit about your data strategy. Uh, uh, fantastic question. Uh, my belief is if I succeed in this data component of my responsibility, it'll amplify and accelerate the whole transformation uh, of, of the business and also help us um, advance and keep our position within our competitors. Um, the way I look at it is I, I started understanding uh, anybody that takes on a new role, if you can understand the top 20 um, key performance indicators of a business, across the business, it makes you very thoughtful it, it continues to um, create curiosity in your mind to go understand why is that KPI important? And then as a technologist and a nerd, I have to understand what are the data elements and where are they stored? So that process led me to talk to a number of my business partners who consume data from technology. And often what I heard was data is the oxygen of this business and you're depriving me of it. So I, I had to take a, um, a, a very drastic and intentional approach on data strategy. Um, the traditional method would be, let's create a data platform, bring all the data sources in, and let's figure out what use cases we, we can build on it. Um, what the team had done prior to my, my arrival is um, almost collect almost 500 use cases that data can add value to and create a differentiation with the business and how we did the business. Um, so what we did was we narrowed it down and we forced ourselves to narrow it down to five data use cases that will provide return on investment this year. And we, based on that, those data use cases, we figured out what are the components of the data platform that has to be built. And for those data components, what do we have today that we can upgrade? What is the open source tools that we can adopt or cards that we have to bring in? So those five data cases, um, use cases, actually defined the build of my first version of the centralized data platform that we are creating for the company in cloud. Um, and each of those have a return on investment for this particular year. And some of the things that we have adopted is for we wanted to create metadata management at the source. So that was the first step that we took. So when the data comes into the lake, it's already present. The second thing that we have asked the team to do is create a life cycle for each of the data element. So we know exactly 
when the usefulness of the data element expires. And through three years, keep track of what are the raw variables and what are the derived variables and what data elements that the derived variables use so we can create this closed loop environment. All of this is good to say, but the last mile data problem is extremely difficult to solve, meaning the users of the data, how they use it, and what they make of the data is extremely difficult to solve. So what we have created is, what we are also creating on top of creating the data platform and, and building the data engineering for the use cases is what we call Ally Real-Time Analytics and Insights. And that takes the data that we are collecting, converts them to insights, and puts the power of insights in the hands of the business users. So they will have a real-time dashboard so they can ask real-time queries and understand insights from the data. And we are doing this intentionally. They could ask questions that would lead us to say that you don't have those data elements either cleansed or you don't have the data elements present. It gives us patterns and usage around what is important to the business users based on the query that they are asking. So we are building the foundation of the data platform being funded by the use cases that are going to market this year. And then we are also bringing in the business users to hack our data platform and tell us what is working and what is not working so I can prioritize the next set of data sources that will come into my data platform. So that in a nutshell is my data strategy. I appreciate you offering that. Satish, I also wanted to mention you, you, um, you began your uh, time as a, a chief, so to say, uh, a CIO at American Express. Uh, you added the digital officer to your title uh, at Honeywell Aerospace. And now I mentioned, as I, as I did at the outset, and you, you provided the nice overview of the triple title that you have, information, data, and digital. I also mentioned that there are some companies where those are divided. And I wonder if you can just reflect for a moment on the wisdom now having multiple times over having sort of a, a combination of sets of responsibilities that in other organizations might be divided among executives, the advantages of, of having that um, consolidated in one place. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I often say is my prior experience and what I have done and thankfully what I have done in the situations I've been in has built me up to this role. And, and you pointed out some of those. Um, the, the clear advantage of having end-to-end responsibility is it, it becomes an opportunity for us. And the way I describe the opportunity is I can start from designing the user experience, building it, understanding how it works, as well as securing it, and also providing the infrastructure to make sure that it can be scaled. But I all my, the one thing that I've asked my teams to do is you should build anything that you're building as if Ally is your first customer. So if you have that mentality, then you become the CEO of yourself or CEO of technology. Now I see myself as a business unit. I see myself as a revenue generating unit as opposed to a cost unit. That is the opportunity that I have given all these roles are coming together. The, um, the other opportunity is looking at things horizontally as opposed to vertically. When, when you are a CIO, you have CIOs um, supporting lines of business, and then you sort of have back office technology that support them. Uh, now I have the ability to make sure that all of them are horizontal and they are serving the CIOs 
that are serving the businesses. And I only have two CIOs, one of one that faces off to all of the banking and consumer products, and one that faces off all to the to the auto products. And all of the, the others are serving them as internal customers. So now they wear the hat of Ally is my first customer. How do I build this capability? And and that in a nutshell is, is the biggest advantage I have. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, before I let you go, Satish, I wanted to ask a, um, a question about technology trends. I'm curious, as you look to the future, uh, say a couple of years out, we, we, not to say we haven't already talked about some, some things that certainly qualify, but are there other trends that particularly excite you and are making their way onto your roadmap? Absolutely. Um, you know, as I said, I'm a, I'm a technologist uh, and a geek at heart. I started programming in assembly language. Um, and so some of the things that, that um, just excites me is the, the first thing I would say is the evolution of microservices and service mesh. You know, we have been talking about APIs a lot. Um, I'm fascinated by what uh, the gRPC, the remote procedure call, is bringing into the equation. You know, started off uh, at Google in 2015, and it is completely changing the microservices world. Um, and I'm fascinated by it is because you can have the, the signature in binary format, uh, which is where assembly programming started. So you can see the connection. Um, APIs, you, you have text format. Yes, you can compress them, but the usability of them um, no longer exists. So this whole conversation about will REST continue to exist or will we migrate to gRPC is a, is a great question that, it, that I'm grappling with in my mind. I feel like microservices architecture could use a boost up using gRPC. I'm fascinated about this whole open source, open shift, uh, and containerization, especially um, a piece of it where you have sidecar technology coming in. You know, it gives you the ability to load data uh, locally. It gives you the ability to monitor at a more uh, micro level and a personalized level. So that uh, is fascinating. Somewhat contrasting to that is the whole serverless architecture. I'm fascinated by the event-driven um, platform and capabilities. So you can, you can personalize um, to every customer that is touching your ecosystem, whether internal or external, if you have an event-driven architecture and if it's serverless. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, thrilled about the pair programming that is coming, coming on board. So you can teach technology to people um, on, a, on, a, on a fast-paced manner. One of the things that we did for our customer care reps, um, you know, where we see a large turnover, we have a new set of folks coming in who are used to be trained at the center. Now that everybody is remote, how do you how do you train new customer care, care representatives? So we 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 sort of use this pair programming um, a phenomenon to help teach them and onboard them. So some of those those are some of the trends that uh, that that we're keeping a close eye on on top of all the neo banks that are popping up. You know, um, the technology is so far advanced that the barrier to entry is so low that you have several banks that are coming in, but sustaining um, a, a digital organization is extremely difficult as I am uh, learning in my, my, my job day to day. So those are some of the things that uh, uh, fuel my competitive juices. Well, Satish Muthukrishnan, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been wonderful to hear about your experience now, six months in, uh, in your role at Ally, a bit about your perspectives uh, even beyond 
beyond that to, to other, other stops along your career. It's been a great conversation. Peter, I'm a big fan of your, um, um, all your interviews and your podcast, and I'm thrilled that I've been able to participate in it. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in. Please join us on Thursday when my guest will be Emmett Keefe, an operating partner at the private equity firm Insight Partners.